0: Church Charlotte. Um, I just wanted everyone to hear the good news. A lot of times, on the, those of us on the pastoral staff, we will hear of things going on, and we know about it, and we're celebrating it, um, and sometimes we forget to push that news out to the yeah. larger um, body, and so I wanted to make sure we did that. Um, all right, God bless you all. Thank you for joining with us. Um, We're going to go ahead and get started uh, in our continued journey uh, through the gospel of Mark. And I am moving uh, faster now because starting in the last, really from the Passion Week of our Lord onward, uh, the text is much much more known. I I don't know why that is, but um, I think there's a lot of uh, Calvary-centered preaching. There's a lot of uh, resurrection-centered preaching. Um, And so I'm trying to um, pick the bigger themes and put them together um, and move move briskly. Uh, Last week we read from chapter number 11 and we read starting at verse number 12 and we read all the way down to verse number twenty-four, and this is the unique occasion in Scripture of Jesus entering into the the city of God, the city of peace, Jerusalem, and having entered, he he goes into the temple. He looks at the temple, and he condemns the temple, and then he leaves and uh, goes to the fig tree that he had seen that although it had leaves signifying early fruit, which I explained that a little bit last week. Um, when he saw it this second time um, he cursed it or the disciples, I should say, saw that it had been withered up from the cursing uh, that Jesus had done. We're going to start reading in verse number 25. And this is right on the eve of this symbolic miracle this miracle of spiritual instruction, this miracle that should teach us timeless truths about God. And right on the eve of that is where we're going to start reading at verse number 25. Hopefully you have your Bibles, you can open open them with me. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. This is a quite heavy passage and coming right on the heels as it does of the withered fig tree and right on the heels as it does of Jesus's condemnation of the temple Uh, It, At least to my ears and my reading, it seems to have a particular note of, uh, in some way, uh, a manner in which we too could miss the will of God, so to speak. The temple has painfully missed the will of God, symbolized by the tree that has leaves but no fruit. And then the Lord gives us this uh, lesson almost like a theological island (laughs) just here's a pop-up sign for you don't miss this this relationship between the miraculous and forgiveness now um when the disciples saw the fig tree let's read now this is just before jesus's comments here on forgiveness um Peter, remembering, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and says to him, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, when I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you will have them. This is one of the most powerful declarative passages on believing for miraculous signs from heaven and miracles in our life that you will find nearly anywhere in the words of Jesus, this whatever you believe. Now, we can't just stand on one scripture. We know better than that. What we have to do is we look at everything the Bible says on this subject and then were able to weigh correctly the whole of the teaching on the subject. Almost every false teacher begins by valuing one scripture higher than another. Almost every false doctrine in the history of the church is dependent upon the teacher and the disciples valuing one scripture higher than another scripture on a particular subject. Now, uh, how do we how do we guard against that? Um, the Bible makes clear that there are things that have higher weighting. The Bible does. The Bible makes clear that there are passages that are to us because of the progressive revelation of God to humanity, um, and so it would be natural for us to hold the words of Jesus higher than the words of any anyone else. Now, why would we do that? Because we remember that Jesus is not God speaking through a man. Jesus is God speaking for himself. And so there is a clarity and a purity. Um, that, I think, is a fair assessment. Um, but we have to take care that we do not simply uh, pick a favored verse. We have to ask ourselves this question. Is it is it possible that we could ask the wrong things? Is there a biblical warning against that? Yes, there is. Um, most famously in the book of James, but uh, in many more places. Uh, there's examples in the scriptures of people uh, praying for things that weren't the will of God and receiving it. Prayer can change things. Um, God being moved by their prayer, and it actually being not a good thing for them. Uh, King Hezekiah comes to mind. Um, So we want to be people of great faith, and we want to ask and believe in our hearts, and do not doubt, while acknowledging that God's, God's ways are above our ways. And so whether or not we that mysterious faith threshold, do you see, that would usher in a whole new realm of the miraculous, our faith is still in Jesus Christ. Whether or not we get the exciting intervention, our faith is still in Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? Um, just because our faith uh, in some ways has its own natural ups and downs to it, just the journey of life. Our trust cannot waver. I think there are some circumstances, some seasons where faith is easier than other seasons. I think we can grow in our faith, but we cannot waver in our trust. We have to leave it with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, immediately after this statement of the miraculous comes this, this almost standalone statement of Jesus that we read. When you're praying, if you realize there's something in your heart that's not right against someone, um, or if you have been harmed in any way by someone, you have to forgive them. You have to forgive them. If you do not forgive them, you will not be forgiven. If you cannot forgive them, you stop the river of grace in your own life, so uh, having having presented this very, very hopefully, very strongly and clearly um, as a miraculous thing, um, as a testimony of Jesus' power, we see right beside it this rather sharp warning from the Lord uh, about forgiving other people. So, I I know most of you. Uh, uh, don't need this teaching because no, no one has ever really done you wrong and you've never had to forgive anybody. Um, and so I know this isn't for you, <laughs> but there are some people who they they really wrestle with forg- forgiving other people and it becomes absolutely necessary uh, to live lives of real mercy and real uh, forgiveness. Uh, I want to talk about this the stages of forgiveness and the stages of mercy, and I want to kind of take you down four paths that are natural responses to um, harm. When you are harmed, you are you are hurt. Um, there is a there is a book by uh, Janice uh, Spring, Doctor Janice Spring, and the title of the book is "How Can I Forgive You: The Courage to Forgive." the freedom not to and I I have not, I, I was able to kind of take a few points out of it, but I have not been able to completely go through it, but the title intrigued me. And so I, I saw four paths that she had identified um, of typical responses to when we are harmed. Um, the one path is what she calls cheap forgiveness. This is a pretend forgiveness because you don't want to deal with the hard work of (laughs) dealing with the emotional experience of what you've been through. You don't want to do the hard work of that. You just want to go on. And so this is cheap forgiveness. Let me call it pretend forgiveness. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to deal with the complicated emotions within. And so this is a cheap forgiveness. It's a pretend forgiveness. Um, it also can be a forced forgiveness, like two kids fighting and uh, their parent, uh, me and my brother used to fight. My mom would make us uh, hug each other and, and quote that scripture about being tender hearted one toward another forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven us. Um, And I did it, but I was mad about it. And I don't think, in my young mind, I didn't think that Jesus would forgive my brother. Um, My brother was worthy of judgment. (laughs) You wouldn't understand. Um, If forgiveness is forced, then it becomes something we act out, not something we live out. Um, People who are, by personality, inclined to cheap pretend forgiveness which again is a quick and easy pardon with no processing of the emotion, no coming to terms with the injury. Just I don't want to talk about it, so you pretend to be to forgive. Um, some people who avoid conflict. If if your personality is such that you avoid conflict and you struggle to stand up for yourself, look someone in the eye and say no. Um, a lot of times you would do a pretend forgiveness and act like nothing is wrong, but it's really nothing is wrong on the surface. Um, inside, there's a lot that's wrong. Another personality type that would be inclined toward a cheap pretend forgiveness is people who are highly passive aggressive. Um, they will forgive outwardly. They'll forgive with words, but on the inside, it is a wound. And every so often they tear the bandage off to look at it and then wonder why it doesn't heal. And then another person who will very much be personality inclined to a pretend forgiveness is the person who idealizes self-sacrifice, not in a healthy way, but as an act of pride. We are called to live lives of self-sacrifice. We are called to prefer other people and put others first. But if our formative experiences teach us the wrong lessons, uh, what we end up with is an idealized an idealized uh, service of others and an idealized forgiveness so we could have a sense of well-being, a type of religious pride. And we haven't really forgiven them, but we just pretend that we're a better Christian than we actually are. Um, the second response that people do. The first one is a pretend response, a pretend forgiveness. Uh, a second one is um, people who refuse, as an act of principle, to forgive. Um, and this, for whatever reason, to them feels like a way of affirming themselves. It's like if no one else is going to stand up for me, I'm going to stand up for me. Do you see? And so this is this is something that can be. Uh, I think if you have a certain personality type, this can uh, incline you toward this type of a thing. Um, if you have an aggressive personality, um, or you have some unresolved pain f- from your formative years where people didn't stand up for you, um, and it's not just about not just about forgiveness; it's about betrayal. Um, if you have formative experiences where because people would not stand up to you, um, you felt betrayed, it can be very hard for you to forgive. And you are going to show the world by if no one else stands up for you, you're going to stand up for you. Um, another personality type is um, somebody who just, they, they just detach. Um, this is what I call the dead to me solution um and you 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 can say anything because on the inside you're dead to them they they are dead to you. Um, this uh, this in some ways uh, can be an act of uh, survival um, uh, people if you were formed by certain experiences in your life this could be an act of survival where you just detach and they're dead to you but remember, we're not trying to just survive. We're trying to be Christians. (laughs) Um, Sorry to bring that up. (laughs) Um, We're not trying to just survive. We're not trying to just cope. We're trying to be Christians. Um, So let's talk about the third very common response. And this um, uh, this is acceptance. Now, this is a healthy thing because it's The step before real forgiveness. Um, Acceptance is when you have the courage to face the full range of emotions, um, but you uh, give up the need for revenge. You've accepted it. Uh, One of the healthy things that can happen here is you can make an effort to try to understand that how it felt to you was not how it felt to them when they hurt you. And even though it was horribly embarrassing to you, they did not. They had no idea of that. Um, you have to accept those emotions at the same time while you give up your need for revenge. Um, acceptance also means you stop obsessing about it, uh, like I referred to earlier. Earlier, where you tear the bandage off and stare at the wound and for a while um, wonder why it won't heal because you keep ripping the bandaid off of it uh, or the bandage. Um, You're still obsessing the biggest sign of, uh, obsessing with, with a a wrong against you is that you love to tell the story. Um, and whenever a chance comes up for you to tell the story, there's some part of you that just wants people to know. Um, I think that's a sign that there's a good chance you haven't accepted it. You're still marketing the other person's error and mistake. Um, acceptance is also where wisdom can work in your life now let me explain that um, when someone has done you dirty <laughs> they've done you wrong you can forgive them without ever doing another business deal with them does that make sense I hope it does um, some people say I'll forgive but I won't forget and I, I don't like that saying because um, it sounds a little bit a little bit like you know um, I I'm carrying this grudge against you. Um, I I like to think of the image that is in the scripture where we are wise as serpents and uh, harmless as doves. Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Um, Serpents serpents are, remember, this is symbolic teaching. And in the cultural literary inheritance of the people and of the times and the generations, uh, a wizard, not a wizard. A serpent was a type of symbol of wisdom, um, and you think, well, how can that be also? You know, a sign isn't a serpent also a sign of evil? Um, so much in our inheritance, in our, in our, our, our cultural inheritance uh, has these dual tones to them: the light and the shadow. Um, uh, the med- the medicine, where someone is smart enough to be able to heal you. Uh, It shows the serpent um, on the rod raised up. It's a symbol of the miracle to the house of Israel raised up. Um, To be a wise as a serpent is uh, to remind ourselves that um, serpents are very rarely a threat unless they're stepped on. Um, This is the whole point of their poisonous bite they are uh, not not a threat unless they're stepped on, and I think there is a wisdom uh, in that image that I am harmless to all unless I'm stepped on. I know some of you are thinking about the "Don't Tread on Me" flags. It's the same idea, um, but harmless as a dove. There is no malevolence in us to harm to harm anyone. Um, I know that a lot of religious people, because they are motivated by fear, can say the the ugliest things about other people. Um, And particularly when one church doesn't like another church, they can say the the, the ugliest things about them. Um, They can disobey the scripture. They can go against Bible teaching of how we should respect one another, make room for each other's gifts, prefer one another, and even leave one another's offerings to the master to be judged. But a lot of times religious communities can feel very much like they are willing to harm. And um, um, I think sometimes when we are struggling to forgive people, that's how we feel. You know, we forgive them kinda, oh, but did you hear what they did? We have to acceptance is facing the emotions. It's giving up the need for revenge, opening the door for restitution. Yes, protecting yourself from further hurt. You don't need to do another deal with them. You get the idea. Um, It allows you to look honestly at your contribution to the problem. Did I did I contribute anything if your answer is zero? that I am perfectly as innocent as the very Lamb of God for sinners slain, I, I want you to know um, there's, there's a pretty solid chance that you're exaggerating yourself. Um, also, acceptance allows us to separate the offender from what they did. Um, we can't fall into the habit of labing, labeling people by the worst moment in the relationship. Um, yeah, they did that, but that doesn't mean that's who they are. That's who they are capable of being. Most of the time, that's 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 not even close to who they are. Acceptance is a very, very powerful part of real spiritual healing. And finally, I, I may surprise you with this one. Um, if you realize you need to forgive a person, I want you to know um, that's usually on the tail end of you realizing you've been holding Ought in your heart against them, and that has perhaps limited the flow of God's blessing in your life. And you have to repent for that, ask God to forgive you, and then you have to forgive yourself. Uh, you, you're human. Uh, most of us don't have a problem doing that. We judge ourselves on our intentions and we judge other people on their appearance. Horribly unfair, but people are going to people. <laughs> the final, uh, path from real harm, offense from people, is to live out a real forgiveness, a real forgiveness that is possible on the other side, on the other side of acceptance. Um, Real forgiveness forgiveness, uh, requires um, an opening of your hands and a real surrender. And now we're getting to the part where I think there is a lesson to teach us about miracles. Now, if you've kind of daydreamed your way up till now, um, I'm going to ask you to pay attention. Um, This is the part where there is a instructive potential, do you see, of what it feels like to go through real genuine forgiveness And also what it feels like uh, for us to ask God for the miraculous. So in a perfect world, genuine forgiveness is both forgiveness and restitution in a perfect world. In a perfect world... One person asks for forgiveness sincerely and the other person gives it sincerely. In other words, in a perfect world, two Christians, hear me, this is biblical, when two Christians are pursuing real genuine forgiveness, it should almost have a transactional feeling to it. What do I mean by that? The Bible doesn't just teach forgiveness. It also teaches restitution. How about them apples? You weren't expecting that. Um, So on one hand, you have a person trying to please God, and they say, I've got to forgive. On the other hand, you have a person trying to please God who is saying, I'm sorry, and can I make restitution? Now, this is a perfect world of two sincere people trying to please God and the forgiveness has both the act of generosity and the work of restitution. If you know you've done something wrong, you should, you should do more than just ask for forgiveness. You should try in some way to make restitution. I'm not gonna go through it now for time's sake, but there is so much Bible on this. Now, it isn't preached as much, Forgiveness is preached 10 times for every one time restitution is preached. I'm guilty of that myself. Why? Because the example of God to us is not an example of forgiveness and restitution. I can't pay God back, do you see? This is why forgiveness gets preached 10 times for every one time restitution gets preached. I, under no circumstances, Can I pay God back? I cannot offer restitution. All I can do is be moved in love by what he's done for me and then motivated by love, try to live a life that honors his sacrifice for me. I hope you're seeing this. It moves me in my spirit. I hope it does you too. All I can do is, if you can't pay him back, all you can do is tell people how generous he is. If you can't make it right yourself, all you can do is worship the one who made it right for you. That is why we preach forgiveness much more than restitution. That's God to us. But when we harm one another, neither parties are God. And if it is available for you to make restitution, it's very, very biblical. It, I don't think it should be forced in a top-down manner. I don't think the church board should uh, deliver um, judgments like a judge in a trial would do. I don't even think pastors should force this because this itself is an act of worship. And the one who knows the heart is going to settle all this out. And he is not mocked. He is not mocked mocked um genuine forgiveness has this feeling when it's between peers between people it has this feeling of and i'm referring to two christians trying to make it right one person is saying i forgive you and the other person is saying i'm going to make it right now let's talk real world um in the real world There's almost never two people at the same level of spiritual hunger. And if they haven't the same spiritual hunger welling up with them, they're going to offer different off <coughs> offerings to the Lord. Somebody who is really hungry to make it right. Um, they're going to they're going to be willing to pay a higher price than somebody who is ah, they'd like to move on but mm, they're not super motivated. So let me say it this way. In the real world, acts of forgiveness are almost never balanced. The person who did you wrong is willing to make one or two units of effort, and the pain it caused you is nine or 10 units of effort. What then? Is there a path? Is there a path to real spiritual forgiveness? In just a moment, I'm gonna talk about church hurt is there a path to real spiritual forgiveness when the parties involved are not equally motivated to make it right? I don't know about you, but people who have ripped me off, I've never had anybody come back and say, let me pay you what I owe you. Never, never. Some people have. I have seen good Christian people who uh, actually did things in their past. When they start living right, they go back to former employers. We had a situation in our church where a young man had stole some things from an employer and uh, in his younger years, and he really got serious about uh, serving God. And uh, he, 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 you know, he went back to the employer and confessed what he had done and said, I want to pay the full retail value of what I stole. And his former employer said, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Tell you what I'm, no one else has ever done this. I stole from all the time. Tell you what, just give the money to a charity of your choice. And so the young man came into the church office and wrote a check to the church for the value of everything he had stolen. And he said, I took it to the business owner and he said to give it to the charity of my choice. And so I'm here to give it to the church. Um, There are people who they care about righteousness, but there's, um, almost, I, I've very rarely seen harm between two people where there was equal motivations to make it right. Usually there's some person much more motivated than the other. Um, because we rarely are in circumstances of pain and offense, harm and uh, wounds where forgiveness needs to be given, where there's two people of equal, um, do, do, do what do we do then? What if, do, do we forgive someone who has never asked us for forgiveness? This would seem to go against the very fabric of what genuine forgiveness, which almost feels like when it's done between two parties of equal um, good heartedness, equal motivation, it sh- there should be forgiveness and restitution. But that's rare. What do we do as people seeking after God? So let's go back after that rather uh, lengthy introduction. I've got to end up here Um, and let's reread. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. As long as they come back and make restitution. It's not what the Bible says. If you're praying and you realize you have anything against anyone, forgive them as long as they at least send a letter. No. What's going on here? If 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 real forgiveness, remember restitution's in the Bible too, not just forgiveness. If real forgiveness almost is a making hole of brokenness between two people who are motivated to make it right, and that's rare, what do we do living our life with wounds um, and they're never going to say they're sorry. Um, some of the people, uh, I don't know, I may regret saying this. So if, if, if this comes out wrong, I'm going to ask for your forbearance and kindness. But some of the people who have hurt me the most, which is silly because I shouldn't have let it happen. they, they don't They don't have the intelligence to understand the principles behind what they did. They just barrel through life like, and I, in my weakness and immaturity, allowed them to get into my heart and leave me cut and bleeding. That's so silly. That is the opposite of wise behavior. Uh, Note to everybody, don't do that. Not everybody in your life should have the same credibility to hurt you. There should be a, any number of people who you, I mean, they're welcome to their opinions, but you're not going by their opinions. You have your own master and you, as long as you have confidence with God, you have mentors and spiritual, spiritual brothers and sisters and leaders in your life. You're good. That's a much better way to live. Um, imagine you've been wounded by people who they just, honestly, they, they don't have the intelligence to understand what they've done. They're just, they're just too simple to even understand any of the things involved. They just run around like a barking dog. What, what do we do? Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a, speaking of dogs. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a house with a big, big puppy. Puppies break things, knock people down, and they're just as happy as they can be. They don't want to hurt anybody. They're filled with joy, but they will knock you down and break your hip and then lick you on the face while you lay there screaming for nine one one. There's people. What do we do with people who c- c- rush into a church, rush into a marriage, get involved in stuff that's none of their business, and like a great big bouncing puppy, proceed to destroy the house, ruin the carpet, destroy the furniture, and then run out in the backyard saying, throw the ball, throw the ball. You know, a ball is enough truth for a dog. Um, What do we do now? I think, and this is just me talking to you from my heart today. I think there's the miraculous lesson that is shown to us in these scriptures that are right beside each other, um, that one of them is a passage of great faith. One of them is a passage. If you can believe, if you can let faith, and the other one says, if someone has harmed you, forgive them. Um, I, I'm going to try to share in conclusion here this, this lesson that I think the Lord, if nothing else, has prompted in my own devotion, and that is this. Seeking the miraculous is not commanding God. It's surrendering in faith. Seeing God do a work is not taking on the tone of an Old Testament prophet And, you know, getting your camp meeting voice just right. It's not what it is. It is, it is a, a, it's falling upon the rock to be broken. You understand? It is this casting of ourselves into the arms of God. It is this leaning back into the everlasting arms. That's honestly, I believe the greatest faith is the wholesale abandonment of I don't have the solution. I don't have the clo- the, the, the answer, the, the, the money, the health. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. It feels like an act of wholesale abandonment to God. I think that's also what it feels like when we choose to forgive somebody who they don't even know the mess they've made. But we stand and we forgive them. You're <laughs> Elsa. Let it go. <laughs> uh, my, my little girl would like that. Uh, you're, you are wholesale casting yourself on God's solution, not your clever rationalizations or figurings or generalizations. Or you're, you're, You've cast yourself onto the Lord. And you know, he cares for you. Cast your cares upon the Lord and know that he cares for you. I think there is something very similar that when you realize you're praying and you have something to get somebody, you decide I'm going to let this go. God has forgiven me so much that even if this person had done worse than what they actually did, I would still it would still be my honor. To forgive them because God's done so much for me. This is casting your cares upon the Lord. You're casting your, your cares upon. If if this person had done worse, if this person had said what they said about me, about my kids. Now, I, I don't know if you're like me, but you talk about me. You get away with a lot talking about me. But if you, you start talking about my wife, I, I, mm, I, I, mm. I, you getting, it's, it's getting, getting closer that I'm going to pop off. And then if you talk about my kids, Jesus, take the wheel. It, it's, it's going to be hard for me to have a good attitude. Um, I think you're, that's a human thing. I think you're the same way. And so this is what I want to end up with. This act of wholesale forgiveness where it doesn't matter what they did. God's done so much for me. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to celebrate what God has done for me. I think that my brother, my sister, feels a lot like casting my cares on him and knowing that he cares for me. Now, uh, yes, not forgiving stops mercy because mercy isn't a formula. It's something you either live or you don't live. And one of the signs that you're not living mercy is when you can't forgive. Does that make sense? Um, Mercy isn't a a calculus. It isn't a formula. It's something you either live or you don't live. And you can't receive and not give because you either live in it or you don't. And when you turn off mercy, it's not that God doesn't love you. He's promised he loved you. It's that you can't live in something you are not living in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm afraid this is too simple. Um, you, if you turn off mercy, it's not that God doesn't love you; it's that you've turned off a central f- principle of a way of being, a Christian life, a manner of living. It's like you. It, it, it's like saying, you know, I'm going to take a shower, but right after I turn off the water to my house, it's the same thing. Living mercy. Giving and receiving, it's the same thing. You either get it or you don't get it. If you get it, you're ready to be a worshiper. But if you don't get it, Lord help you. Because you will have turned off your own water at the curb and then complain because you don't have a shower in your house. Let's talk about church hurt. The hardest pain, the hardest pain in our life is to be wounded in the house of our friends, Uh, people who you trusted. Why is that? Because you make yourself vulnerable to people close to you in a way that you don't make other people vulnerable. Um, If someone in your household wanted to scare you, um, they could scare you much more easily than someone um, who you don't know. And the reason is, is Someone who you don't know wanted to scare you, they'd have to come knock on your door and try to get in your house. It's pretty hard to, you're protected from them behind locks. Does that make sense? But if your spouse decided to scare you, he or she is, they have access to everything. They can wait till you're asleep. They can can catch you in the in-between stage between sleeping and wake. Uh, They might make you crazy and prompt a great big fight, but you've opened your life to them. So they could scare you. Um, I know of a pastor who told me about um, some people in his church who had terrible, terrible um, mental health problems, like legit, serious problems. Um, And he said that it it made him sad. I'm not going to get into too much of these details because these kids' um, mother had done it to them and she wanted to make sure that they never lived in fear. So her plan from that was to scare them almost every day of their life. And she'd make them go to the room and then she would scare them and scare them. It didn't make them strong because she was making them take tests they weren't prepared to take. What she did is she created broken people with profound mental health problems. So my point is this, is a mother could, uh, if you're a little child, no one can scare you like your mother. Your mother could terrify you. Um, and I don't mean to put a dark cloud on this Bible study by telling an awful story like that. But I think it it punches, it punches heavily to the, the problem of church hurt. Because you open yourself up and now you are completely vulnerable. I'm talking to some people in this meeting right now who are living with church hurt. And I want to surprise you by saying this, would you practice your faith in the miraculous by asking God for something great and casting your cares upon Him and just don't reel them back in. Just let let your cares go. Just ask God, just fall upon the rock of His word. And remember how that feels. And then think about the people who've done you wrong Think about the people who have hurt you, the people who have really left you bloody, broken, and bleeding. (laughs) And I want you to try an experiment and just cast all that offense away. In the same way you cast all your cares on the Lord, I want you to cast away from you all the offenses of your past. I'm not saying don't process it. I, I, I think you have to face the emotion, the full range of emotions. I, I, I'm not saying that you don't live wiser and protect yourself from those kind of people. I, I, I certainly would and do. Um, I'm not asking you to be, to minimize what they did to you. I'm just asking you to get up from your prayer, stand up from your place of seeking after God. Think of the pain. Think of the hurt. Think of the the difficult journey you've been through. And now I want you to imagine in the same manner you're casting cares upon the Lord. I want you to cast all that offense away. You can give it to God. You can cast it away to God. And the emotion of complete abandonment trusting God for a miracle. I don't have an answer, I need you to give me an answer. I can't heal my body, I need you to heal my body. In the same manner that you just cast, I haven't a solution, I'm looking to you. I'd like you to cast away all that offense and all that hurt, and it might be, it just might be that you're surprised by the miracles that happen in your life that too big a stretch for you? I hope not. It might just be that you're surprised by the miracles in your life. Lord Jesus, we are praying right now for every individual who is at this moment honestly reviewing the frustrations, the wounds, the pain, the errors that they survived. I'm praying for every heart, Lord, that has drawn away in spiritual coldness from your presence and your people because of wounds. I think hell's greatest successes involve carnal church people hurting others, other people of great spiritual potential and all of them withdrawing one from another. I think churches that should be twice the size they are, they could survive the frontal attack of hell, but they couldn't survive each other's humanity, each other's carnality, each other's mistakes. And so now there's a half a dozen small churches that very few people are—they have very little influence rather than one larger church because people couldn't live together. They couldn't forgive one another. And even if that larger church would have had a much more outsized influence in the community just by its the, the power of coming together, and that's the whole power of unity, us coming together and the multiplication effect of uh, that kind of unity. Two or three calling upon the name of the Lord, one putting a 1,000 to flight, two putting 10,000 to flight. We lose all that. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that Those of us who have real histories of having to overcome and forgive and all of that because of circumstances, Lord, don't let us build a tabernacle to ourselves, a temple to our pain. Don't let us spend our whole life celebrating what we've been through, walking through life like a wound looking for a knife. But Lord Jesus, help us to cast it all on you. Help us to forgive and help us to forgive with a sense of abandonment. We are letting it go, we are abandoning it, and we're opening our heart to the miraculous. In Jesus' name we pray, we praise you today, we thank you for your goodness, we praise you for your love, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all, I love you, Um, thank you for your time. Um, Please open your heart to others between now and Sunday. Um, that we can be real ministers, not just churchgoers, and the difference between a minister and a churchgoer is our connection and impact in the world that is around us. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm honored to do this life with you, um, and um, I'll see you Sunday. It's going to be a great a great weekend. God bless you. We love you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them.